Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. Continuing our study, looking at these, vis- these night visions, this first section of Zechariah. Chapter 5, but before we hear from the Lord, let's go to him again in prayer and ask his blessing upon the hearing uh, and the reading and the preaching of his word. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, what a privilege we have in being in your presence again this morning, sensing your grace and love upon us in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray, Lord, that you would come to us now as we continue to worship you not as speakers now, but as listeners, as we listen to the voice of our Lord Jesus, and as he speaks to us from his word, we do pray that we would all be aware of his presence and authority and grace and power as we do so, and we ask that you would draw us to him as individuals and as a church family, and that we would kneel inwardly before him and love him always and love him more, the great love of Jesus. We pray that we may know that love today and know the certainty that we are his loved ones. And we all, as your people, say together, Amen. Zechariah chapter 5, we'll just be reading the first four verses. Zechariah 5, verses 1 to 4. Please give your full attention. This is the word of our God. Again I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, and its width width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. <clears throat> well, as most of you know, uh, we, the Garbarinos, live for um, about 10 years in the Pacific Northwest, uh, the Pacific Northwest up in Washington State. Um, and this is the land of the original, um, you might call them eco-hippies, right? The environmentalists. Um, and they are the true uh, tree huggers, you've heard the term. Um, very early on, I recall seeing an expose up there on TV about a large group of these individuals. Really, they're earth worshipers. Uh, and they were gathered in a forest amongst all the trees, uh, amongst all the trees of Washington. And they'd all joined hands and they were praying together to the trees, asking the trees for forgiveness for all the bad things that mankind had done to them. Uh, And that really is the definition of a super tree hugger, right? And as as I saw this, and as you may have seen these kinds of things, um, my first reaction was to laugh at the insanity of it all. I thought, are they for real? I thought it was a, a bit. I thought it was a gag. 
Uh, then the silliness gave way to anger at the offense of what they were doing. And then that, of course, gave, gives way to pity uh, for the state of their souls. How terribly sad and lost and really demented they are, this kind of thinking, this hell-bound earth worshippers praying to God's creation. And as a common refrain that I have heard, and perhaps you have heard as well, from people who are opposed to the very thing that we're doing this Lord's Day, and that we do Lord's Day by Lord's Day, gathering for worship, attempting to obey God's prescription as to how we worship Him. Uh, many say in opposition to this, we don't need to go to a building to worship God. We can do it our own way. I can, I can worship God while fishing or at home. My church is in the woods. And this is really what the people praying to the trees are and what they were doing. They're an extreme example of man doing things his own way. Um, and don't get me wrong, certainly, we can and should be worshiping the Lord at all times. And whatever we are doing, whether we're hiking or doing algebra or driving or shopping, even in our activities on social media, if you do that kind of thing. Right? We should do all, whatever we do, Paul says, to the glory of God. And in one aspect, to do it worshipfully. This is the call on our lives. That is what we're created for, right? To glorify God, to worship our Creator and Redeemer. That is not what people mean usually, usually non-believers, when they say this kind of thing. I don't need to go to church. I don't need an institution or a building to worship God. I can do it my way. Right? And to be sure, that's not a sentiment that started or ends with Frank Sinatra, right? doing it my way. And as you know, it began when? It began way back in the Garden of Old. Long ago, man sought to be autonomous, right? a law unto himself, and, to, and he abandoned and to reject God's word for him. And as a result, he plunged all of humankind into sin and misery. Uh, this is a picture of distorted man. Uh, what he is doing, when he is doing as he sees fit, according to the dictates of his own heart. This is man suppressing, sinful man suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Right? This is what we read about in Romans chapter 1, where it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So unbelievers by nature naturally do this. And yet we know why. They try and make things up from their own hearts and their own minds. The reason they do this is because this is, even though they're corrupted by sinful nature, uh, they nevertheless were created as worshiping creatures. Right? Man was created to worship. Right? They are God-created people living in a God-created universe at every point and everywhere, encountered by God, by the God who made them, and by the truth of God. They were made to worship. But rejecting the true God, suppressing the truth, their bent and instinct towards worship expresses itself in a myriad of idolatries. And they end up worshiping many things because of the distortion of that innate, inbuilt urge and need to worship. Uh, so they attempt to do it their way. Right? Their way. But what about us? What about us? What about the believer? Are we left to chase after or follow the dictates of our own hearts? Right? Even now regenerate hearts? Of course we are not to do that. 
and we praise God that we are not. We praise God that he has given us direction. He's given us direction. And nevertheless, there is some confusion regarding, uh, for some regarding just how the law of God applies to the believer today, particularly how the Old Testament law applies to the believer, to the church today. And as we turn to Zechariah, it is instructive. Zechariah chapter 5, as we look at this next vision that Zechariah had on that very busy night, I want to tell you right up front to orient us what it is that's going on and what the text is telling us in this first vision of chapter 5. And I want you to see from this vision that because of our holy God's great love for you, for his church, he has given you his word to tell you what pleases him. And he has freed you to live for him according to that word. Right? Because of his great love for you, he has given us his word to tell us his heart, to tell us what pleases him. And he has freed us to live according to that very word. Again, you may or may not be aware of this, but there is a wide spectrum of views among different Christian schools of thought regarding the law of God and just how that applies to us. And so whether it's stated or inferred or unknowingly held, there are different opinions regarding how the law fits into the life of the church. Of course, we don't have time to examine all of these different uh, views and the nuances of these views, but there are some people who have said that the Old Testament law has no use for the Christian. Right? That was Old Testament. We don't have use for that today. Today we're under grace, they say. And somehow on this side have gone so far as to say that we just don't need the Ten Commandments at all. We don't need to keep them anymore. There are others that say much or all of this, the Mosaic Law, is still binding on the church today and even on society in general. But maybe you have wondered how the Old Testament law applies to you today. Let's look at God's word and see what we find and see what we see regarding God's word in the life uh, of the Christian. This vision that we see, that we are encountering this morning, we're looking at, involves a flying scroll. A flying scroll. And at the very outset, we can agree with a comment um, I have quoted for you in my studies, um, some of the comments regarding the book of Zechariah and their assessment of it throughout history. And one of the comments by a Puritan, one of the Puritans regarding this section of God's word, said this, there are some difficult things here. <laughs> indeed, a flying scroll, and then next week, a woman in a basket. Uh, there are indeed some difficult things here. He goes on, and some things that are very hard to understand. And so to this we can say amen and amen. Uh, they are indeed some difficult things. They may first seem very bizarre to us, the cursory reading. But take heart, trust the Lord. They are for our benefit. We can breathe easy. We can look, relax, and listen, even from these difficult texts. Uh, this first vision that Zechariah sees in chapter 5 um, in verses 1 and 2 is a flying scroll. One of my old professors said that he was teaching on this chapter once, and one of the children in the church uh, thought that he was talking about a flying squirrel. Flying squirrel, now like Rocky and Bullwinkle, right? Um, now, I said they can seem bizarre, but they're not that bizarre, right? There's no flying squirrel here. It's a flying scroll. Uh, the first half of this vision, uh, or gives the vision, first half of this section, and then the second half gives the interpretation of the vision. Right? Zechariah says, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. 
I almost said squirrel there. Uh, and the interpreting angel says to him, what do you see? And Zechariah says, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width is 10 cubits. And it's odd. It's not just the fact that it's flying throughout the land, but that it's huge. Right? This is uh, 20 by 10 cubits is about 30 by 15 feet. This is no small thing blowing in the air. It's a big scroll meant for all to see. And it's flying throughout the whole land, it says. We read in, chapter, in verse 3 that it, is, it says this, uh, it is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. So the scroll, we're told, was the curse that goes out over the whole land. And if we look at the clues from this section and we look at the rest of Scripture, uh, we see that the scroll is indeed, that is a copy of the Ten Commandments. You might say, naturally, you'd say, well, wait a second. It just said that it was a curse. How could the Ten Commandments be a curse? Isn't, aren't, isn't, aren't the Ten Commandments a good thing? And you're right, of course, they are a good thing. The law of God is a glorious and good thing, right? Uh, indeed, the longest chapter in Scripture, Psalm 19, is dedicated uh, to that very thing, the law of the Lord. Oh, how I love your law. But remember the Ten Commandments, what they were. It was a covenant document. It, it contained both blessings for keeping the terms of the covenant set before them and curses for failing to keep that covenant. Blessings and curses, the sanctions of the covenant. And the scroll is a copy of the treaty that came through Moses. The Decalogue, as it is called sometimes. Ten words, Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And look also at verse 3 where it says, For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. So like the two tablets of stone that Moses received on the mountain, this is a reference to this very thing. Sometimes for various reasons, maybe from a popular old movie um, that we've all probably seen or otherwise, we may think that the two tablets just had part of the commandments written on one side of each of the tablets. But in reality, Moses brought down these tablets of stone written on both sides. I don't know how many of you are aware of that or remember that from Scripture. Right? Exodus 32.15 says just this very thing. Exodus 32.15 says, Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides. On the front and on the back, they were written. What it literally says is on one side... And on the other side, right? and we see that as a direct, uh, that's the same language that we read in Zechariah 5.3, on the one side and on the other side. And also notice the content of the scroll, this scroll that's flying through the whole land. It is like the Ten Commandments, right? Condemning the breaker of the Eighth Commandment, the thief, and the breaker of the Third Commandment, the false swearer, right? Notice in verse 4, swearing falsely in my name. So there's also an allusion to the Ninth Commandment there. So the Third, the Eighth, and the Ninth uh, is the context of what's the description going on here. The scroll was a flying copy of the Ten Commandments, flying, swooping through the land. And another clue that we see here is the size of the scroll. Right? The dimensions are not coincidental. They are, in fact, the exact dimensions of the Holy of Holies, right? that very inter-sanctuary of the temple. Right, it is a pointer back to this place, this place where the priests served the Lord. And this is all significant. This is the place, of course, where God communicated with man regularly. 
And the dimensions also correspond precisely to something else in Scripture, and that's the portico of Solomon's temple. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 6. Uh, and this is significant because this portico of, of Solomon's temple is the place where priestly justice was administered. And remember, too, the Holy of Holies contained the Ark of the Covenants. And what was contained in the Ark of the Covenant, you remember? It's a copy of the Ten Commandments. Right? The Ten Commandments was the very heart and center of the covenant. But neither the tablets nor the Holy of Holies existed in the time of Zechariah when he is prophesying. The temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. So what's going on here? Why is Zechariah seeing this? Well, this vision of the prophet indicates that although the temple may be destroyed and the tablets have been destroyed, the reality was that the law of God found in those tablets is still in effect. This is the heart and will and desire and command of the Lord. And so in other words, here is Israel back in the land without a temple, without the ark, without the tablets of stone. Nevertheless, the people are still in covenant with the Lord. And they are still required to keep the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And so listen, the vision is directed towards the people of God who are in the land of promise. Right Again, notice in verse 3 it says, talks about the land at the beginning, the whole land, the land of Israel, of Jerusalem. And the scroll is directly confronting the people of God with the law of God. And also the very word there where it says curse in verse 3, this is the curse that goes out. It's very interesting. Uh, as we look at this word, it's not the common word for curse that we find in the Old Testament in Hebrew. In fact, the word here that is rendered in English as curse is the word that we find in Deuteronomy 29 for oath. Right? Particularly, Deuteronomy 29, or verse 12 for an example. Um, and I'm going to quote the New American Standard. I don't know why the ESV translates the way it does at this instant, but listen to what uh, is, is a more faithful rendering of what the Hebrew says. It says that you may, this is Deuteronomy 29, 12, that you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God is making with you today. Right? So you see those are in parallel construction. The covenant with the Lord and his oath, which the Lord is making. That word oath is the same word that's rendered in English in Zechariah 3 here as curse. Right? So the curse or the oath goes out across the whole land. What's the context of Deuteronomy 29? Do you remember? This is the place in Scripture, right? In Deuteronomy, right, the second law, it's the place where the people of God are renewing the covenant with the Lord. That's the context. And so that's the connection. That's what's going on in Zechariah 5. This scroll, the oath, the covenant, the Decalogue is directly confronting the people of God in the whole land. Right? And so the thieves and the false swearers are who? They are the covenant people of God. They are the church in the Old Testament. Those who have been restored to the land. They are those Jews in Zechariah's time that have been disobeying the law of God. And now the law appears and it testifies against them and against their law-breaking. It's like looking up in the sky and seeing a 30 by 15 foot neon flashing sign flashing the Ten Commandments at the people, a witness against them because of how they're living. 
And in verses 3 and 4, we see the consequences of the breaking of that law. Verse 3, says the people who break the commandments will be cleaned out, cleaned out. And again, this isn't, well, we shouldn't think of this, this doesn't mean like cleaning out our garage or cleaning out our car, right? Rather, it means uh, to make desolate, to empty out, to sift. The people of God will not escape. Eschewing, violating God's law. These people are God's people. Even their houses will be devastated. Right? It says in verse 4, I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. Houses are devastated, demolished. And this is ironic because if we look at what's going on again contextually, we see the contemporary prophet of Zechariah is the prophet Haggai. He's the older prophet. Zechariah is the younger. And the prophet's lying around the same time. And Haggai accuses the same Jews of building, do you remember, paneled houses while the house of the Lord lay in ruins. The house that they had promised to rebuild, they had promised in God's name to rebuild it. And now Zechariah has seen the contrast. Right? God's house will be built and the lawbreaker's house will be torn down. And the scroll will enter into the house and consume those houses. The law of God entering in to consume them, rock and timber, it says. And this should bring to, member, bring to our remembrance something else from Scripture. Uh, God reminds us here of the plague of Egypt. Right? Remember that tenth plague over Egypt, right? By means this, God, God launches this, this, this air attack on all of Egypt by means of the avenging angel, remember who by night enters into the house to inflict destruction upon them. And that's what it said here that the flying scroll is doing. Literally, it says at the end of verse 4, it shall pass at night through his house and consume it, both timber and stone. But there's one major difference that we need to acknowledge of what's going on here. One difference between what the Lord is doing in Egypt at the time of the Exodus and what he is doing here in Zechariah. In the night of the 10th plague back in the Exodus, the Lord had what? He had protectively hovered over the Israelites' house. Remember, guarding them, those who had the blood-soaked doorways, guarding them from the work of the destroyer. The Lord protectively hovers over, covers over them. But here in our text, in Zechariah 5, what's going on? There we see it as precisely the Israelites' houses that are being targeted by the flying scroll in the vision. God is now treating the Israelites in a similar way to how he treated the unbelieving Egyptians during the Exodus event. Because that's who they're acting like. Unbelievers. And how are we to understand this? What is going on here? Well, Zechariah's vision here in verses five, Zechariah 5, verses 1 to 4, it's a warning. It's a warning to the people of God. It's serving as a warning to God's people of that day, telling them that although with earlier visions God had promised to bless them and to be with them, yes, He had promised to build the temple, and yes, to be in their midst, the glory in their midst, and to grow them and swell them, His glorious promises of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, but they are still required to keep the law of God. They are still required to obey His word. 
And though living in adversity and in hard times and in difficult, harsh circumstances, they are yet required to keep God's law. And that's why it comes over the land, to remind them of this, to keep it. It is the very heart of the covenant relationship. It is his law and his will for his people. And the flying scroll has a clear application to those at the time of Zechariah, the original hearers of this prophecy. And it also does so for the church throughout history. In a true sense, the Decalogue hovers over the church and believers today are to keep those Ten Commandments. Our confession tells us as much when it says Christ did not in any way dissolve the moral law, but much strengthened this obligation. Right, so that takes care of well, one whole half of those different views that we mentioned earlier. Christ does not do away with them, but it strengthened, strengthens this obligation. This doesn't mean in any way that we are saved by the law or made right by keeping God's law. Because the reality is, due to the remaining clinging sin in our lives, right, we can't keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. And therefore, we're not made right with God that way. We are not saved by the law. How are we saved? We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. He both kept the law perfectly and he took the punishment for failing to keep the law. Both things, the very things that were needed for you to have life, for us to have life in Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is glorious good news. Isn't a moment's reflection on that glorious and mind-blowing reality? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? The Lord, uh, his provision was perfectly met, all that we needed. And meditating on that should warm your hearts and should drive your gratitude for this great King and Redeemer. But also understand that our being saved by grace through faith in Christ does not mean that we are therefore lawless. Right? We are not lawless people. We're not called to lawlessness. God's law yet applies to the church today. It restrains evil. It reveals sin. And it is also the rule for our lives showing us the heart of God and His desire for you, His people. The Puritans used to put it like this. They said, the law of God does not save us, but it points us to the cross of Christ for salvation. And the cross then points us back to the law so we would know how to live. And you might be thinking or saying in your, in your mind, that's fine, Pastor, but the problem is, I can't keep God's law just like the Israelites in Zechariah's day. I break the commandments all the time. And you do. And I do. And in our honest reflection, we all must admit these things. right? The Apostle Paul himself tells us, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And we do sin and fall and fail. And when we do, it hurts. It hurts. Sometimes it is overwhelmingly crushing. It hurts so bad. But listen, dear Christian. Listen and hear closely. Right? Here is the good news. We need to understand this. That we are no longer under the curse and condemnation of having been under the law. The word from Paul delights our souls. As the Spirit says through him in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Is that glorious news indeed? Oh, it is. There is now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. And the reality is that the wrath of God will not come upon into your houses or upon the persons or consume us or tear our houses down, timber and stone. Why is that? It's because the wrath of God already fully came upon Jesus in our place. And so no wrath remains for you. And Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that we might live for Him. Now that, brothers and sisters, is good news. That is the best news. Right? And so the answer to that opening question regarding the Ten Commandments is that yes, the Ten Commandments do apply to us. We're not saved by keeping them. We're no longer under their condemnation, praise God. But they indeed are our very guide and truth for living. We have been freed to live for God in a way that pleases Him. Whole-souled for Him, given over to Him, without reserve, without restraint to Christ. That is his call on your life. Is Jesus the passion and focus and goal of your lives, dear friends? Is he? Is he the one in whom you delight? Is he the one in whom you get excited about and live for and talk about? That gets your blood flowing. This Savior who died for you to give you life, to whom you're united. Is he the one... Uh, that fills your mind and your time? Right? What excites your spirit? To what do you give yourselves to and your time and your treasure and your heart and your affections? I pray, brothers and sisters, for you all and for myself that Christ is the one, that it is Jesus, and that you allow nothing to compete for your affection with Him. Because when you are enthralled with the one who gave you life and merited for you a new heart and a home and glory forever with him, every other thing is put in its proper perspective, in its proper place. And your love and living for him will give meaning and pleasure to the other things in your lives. You will more and more and more love to live the life that he loves for you. Remember when Christ was asked in Matthew 22, right? the question comes from the lawyer, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And you remember how he answered. He summarized the Ten Commandments and he said this to the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. God's law applies to us, dear Christian. Right? Remember the answer to that well-known question that you probably all have memorized. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And Do you remember the next question and answer? It tells us how we know how to do that. And it is only by His Word. Not by the imaginations of our own heart. Not by a business model that goes out in the church, it's by His Word. By His Word. The Lord Jesus kept the demands of the law for you, dear Christian, if you belong to Him. 
Not so you could abandon the will of God. He kept the law for you. He suffered your punishment, making complete satisfaction for the Father through the Father, that you would be free to begin walking according to that law. Because the truth of the matter is, Paul will tell us in Galatians, we don't have time to look at all these passages, but it is only the one who's been freed from the law that, that begins to keep the law. It is through faith in Him that you are made right with God. It is also through faith in Jesus that you are grown and transformed. Not by keeping the law. Law keeping is a result of transformation, you see. Your good deeds have no power to save you. And they have no power to sanctify you, to grow you. Only the Lord sanctifies you. Only trusting in His finished work for you. You are freed, brothers and sisters. You are freed, free to keep His commandments, free to live in freedom, right? So as we close and reflect upon that, if we can but just get a fraction of just how much the Lord loves His people, a fraction of just how much He has done for us, a fraction of the mercy and grace and love that He's extended to you, not abstractly, but personally for you, if we could just get a tiny fraction of that, we would be overwhelmed with such a great, fill, a great sense of freedom and liberty. Liberty from both our own sins and the condemnation and curse of the law. Freedom to live our lives bent like our Savior on pleasing the Father. Living for Him who made us and saved us and freed us. Overwhelmed with the desire to live in joy and gratitude for the God who loves you and spared not His only Son. Right? Not burdensomely, not oppressively, but with joy and delight. He is our King. He is our Lord. Brothers and sisters, let all glory and greatness of our great God and Savior, may we live fully to Him, this One who died for us, so much so that we would be horrified at violating His will. So much that we would, it would be unthinkable for us to do so. This is not a casual thing. It's a very serious thing that should be very dear to us. And may He be glorified and praised by both the witness of our lips as well as our lives. So let's take the rest of this week and indeed the rest of our lives to live for Him, to praise Him, and to tell others the only place where life is found and freedom from these very things. Amen. Let's pray. The gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you've shown to us in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us to believe, to truly believe what you say about us, that we are dead to sin, and that we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Lord, help us to delight in your law. Help us to delight in the reality that we are united to Christ. Father, we pray that you would grow our faith, strengthen our trust in you, Lord. We pray that you would indeed be with us as we continue to work through not only this passage, but for every aspect of our life. Lord, we pray protect us and carry us as we look to you through Jesus Christ, our only Savior. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in. This morning, uh, if you'd like more information 
uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you.